Hello, screeders. Like seems my usual, I have many things to say in the moment, but rarely anything to say when I look at the Anchor app. I have played a few games, not a lot. Uh, most of my games have been put on hiatus. I've uh, been trying to do the Librem Society, and I did do a new show called Bygone Exhumations, or BX for short. Hope you guys want to check that out. Head over to my YouTube channel, which is just Jason Hobbs, and you can check out Bygone Exhumations, or BX. X. I have no idea what's going on. The whole world seems crazy. And I feel like I have the weight of finality. The gravitas. Recognizable gravitas of my situation. I complain about wanting to move forward and being unable to while I'm still in the same house. But at the same time time grinds on and it just seems to erode options as it does so and the options may not even really be there but they feel like they're there until the time comes so there you go a little bit about time and a little bit about gravitas but I don't really know what I do know today is Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. I am Jason Hobbs, and this is Random Screed. All right, Screeders, it isn't April 12th. It is April 22nd, and I haven't gotten any farther on this episode than that introduction. So... Why don't we just give you another introduction, give you a quick update on what's going on, keep you posted so you know I'm still alive, kicking, and I am, I think, but I don't know what I do know. (laughs) Today is Thursday, April 22nd, 2021. I am Jason Hobbs, and this really is Random Screen. This is Taylor calling in with a question about roleplay. Does good roleplay have to be detrimental? It's easier, yeah, to do something in character that would benefit your character, but does doing that beneficial thing, or having a character that is expressly a team player, disqualify it? A reason I ask, think about Game of Thrones. In the first book, they killed a main character. It was shocking, novel, it would come to define the tone of the series. But by the end, they were killing characters left and right, so much so that it became blasé. It was more of a gimmick than the literary driver that it had been. So, discarding the extra hindrance in a highly valid game perspective, uh, for the same reason, having situations come up over and over where the good roleplayer damages party objectives, it would become a gimmick. The focus of the game would no longer be about treasure, or about exploration, or even character development. Uh, It would be a sword and sorcery soap opera. So, I guess the question is, where is that line? Uh, How much is too much, and does good roleplay have to hurt?
All right, whispers. I think you have a valid points, but I also feel like you took a broad kind of statement and concept about role playing and the idea of it being detrimental and like like hyper focused on it. Like I don't think anyone it wants to be a detriment to the party every single session. And it doesn't even have to be a detriment to the party. It might just be a detriment to the character. I do believe it has more to do with the type of system and game you're in. Uh, And no, I don't think it has to be detrimental for it to be good. I mean, your character could be one that is a a team player and a good helper for the group. And you play that and it's good. I don't think it... I don't think it has to be a detriment. Um, like if you like anything, I mean, if you do it too much, it's it's going to become annoying, right? You have to kind of pick your points. And I think in a role playing game, a good player is going to pick their points anyway. Like it may not even be every session; it may not be every three sessions. But there's going to be a time where they're still playing their character and they're doing their thing. But it doesn't have to be a poignant moment or anything like that in the role play. So anyway, I wanted to thank you for calling in. Sorry it took me so long to answer. Um, I don't know in Game of Thrones if it did become blasé because then there was always the question, is this guy going to survive or not? Or do you think that because it happened enough, people just did not get attached to characters anymore? I mean, the worst one for me was um, the arena fight with uh, the mount, the the fight that killed the mountain. Pretty much, I don't know what that was, book three or something. I don't know, man. Why are we talking about Game of Thrones anyway? <laughs> Thanks again for calling in, my brother. Hey, Jason, the other Jason, just listen to March 29th's Random Screed winning reference. You know, my character would do that. I really think it depends on the group and what you agreed with and the kind of game you want to play. If you're just playing an adventure game, you're just doing a dungeon exploration, especially if it's something like a, um, uh, shoot, the games you run, drop in, drop out, that the player's um, organize. I'm brain farting on the right term. Anyway, but those kind of games where there there is much more emphasis on teamwork, then I think that is kind of a a, a bad way to play because the implicit idea is you're going to work together, teamwork, you know, do all this. But if the group agreed to playing a game where everybody's going to concentrate on the role playing aspect of it, of the characters, and really play their characters up, I don't think there's an issue with it. West Marches, that's the kind of games you run, West Marches. So I think, yeah, this is what my character would do kind of play style in a West Marches game is kind of crappy. But in a game with a regular group and everybody's on board, I I don't think it is. So I think the answer really is depends. I don't think either way is wrong, bad. But I think it does apply to the situation. Again, Start Master, we're finishing up. We're we're doing a play test of it too, uh, myself and a couple other podcasters. And it's turned out pretty well. But I agree with you. It's uh, we we had played Merp before this, and, and 
I think that for the most part we agree we'd just rather play Merp than it. But there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. But it's kind of odd what it skimps back on and then what it adds on and complicates, you, you know. But but it's an interesting system and it's out there and it's in, you know, it's being published currently, so it has that in its favor. Okay, let me listen to the rest of your episode. As for 2D20 Conan, never played it. I've played, I, I have played one 2D20 game, but just briefly. So, it, it seems a little weird, but it's definitely an inbake thing with the Doom and the and all that. And I think you, you're right. You do have to play it more to to really get it. And I haven't played it enough to do that. But you know who has is our mutual acquaintance, Arlen Walker. And and, and he'd be the guy to to explain and and talk about the two D twenty system and you know if it actually is well designed or not. Um, so I'd recommend you his way as far as two D twenty goes. But another great show as always. A lot to think about. And I look forward to your next one. Hang in there. And we're here for you. You know, a slower release schedule is not a problem, Jason. Hang in there. We're here. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Screeters. There was Jason Connerly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. First off, I wanted to give you some kudos on uh, all the shows that you listen to and support and give call-ins to. I think everyone appreciates it. Uh, especially me, so thank you for that, sir. As far as what you have to say, I don't know if I have that much to add. I think I covered it fairly well. I'm not positive. It's been 16 days since I started this episode, I think, maybe more, which is unconscionable. Is that even a word? Incorrigible? Ridiculous. I don't know. All those things. Um, But... Yeah, one thing I was going to mention is, is it the difference between episodic versus serial play? Does that play into it? I mean, you yourself had a character that uh, attacked the rest of the party doing what your character would do under a geish in a mad, of, of madness in a low fantasy gaming. And everyone seemed to really talk about that game a lot. I'm not sure everyone was totally happy about it or excited, but... I think it was a pretty entertaining session and it made for some really good, I don't know, heartfelt, hard, serious gaming, serious business maybe. It's something that we could all think about and look into a little further. Uh, On that note, let's move on to the next caller who also has some commentary on this subject. Hobbs, it's Che, Roleplay Rescue. Um, just on, thank you for your episode winning. Uh, you were asking about like playstyle stuff about like, you know, should players try to be clever and circumvent the scenes and stuff like that. Man, that stuff is completely down to like talking to your group. And I think the advice I would give is in each game group, you need to have conversations about that. You kind of need to have conversations about those things as they come up. If you're running some, something through the game and you're push feel like you're pushing the envelope and you feel like you're uncertain that the other players are enjoying that then you know i think end of session or pre-session or between session chat chat is where you should be going um and that's what i have to say on that game on 
there's another common caller. These three guys are fantastic and I really appreciate them. That specifically is Che Webster from Roleplay Rescue. So this has some commonality to what Jason was saying and what you'd come and hear me give as advice, which is this idea of communication, conversing with your players. I hear it on gaming and BS all the time. I'm wondering if this has become almost just a trite and nothing against Che, of course. It's just uh, something that occurred to me. Why do we have to have so, so much communication to play a game? Sometimes, wouldn't it be nice just to be able to say, hey, let's play a game and get after it? Yes, the answer is yes, it would be nice. But the caveat is this is why people talk about games and have problems with their players and situations and why maybe a game doesn't feel like the best game ever is because expectations, if our expectations aren't online, you can't be disappointed if you don't have any expectations, first of all. But I think we have inherent expectations about games. The crazy thing is, is not all of our inherent expectations are the same between people. So while I think maybe we've heard this advice enough about, oh, we got to talk about it ahead of time. We got to have a session zero. We got to figure out our social contract, all these things. It sounds like it's kind of a pain in the ass and it gets literally old. Maybe it's necessary. If you don't want to be disappointed, it's necessary. So crazy, isn't it? Anyhow, Che, as always, much appreciated that you gave a call in, took the time out of your day, not only to listen to the episode, but to actually use some of your own effort and energy to cogitate on what I had to say and give me a call and offer up your advice. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you. If he is up or down, his podcast still comes round. Hobbs is in his van. Don't turn off that sat nav man. Random screed, random screed. Don't know what you get, but it's what you need. All right, screeders. As I mentioned, it's now April 29th. Uh, I started the episode on April 13th. It's more on April 22nd, and now it's April 29th. Well, I expect to be a little more here, a little more present. A few more random screeds for you. I am finally moved into my new place. And as of last night, I have internet, I have cameras, and a mic. So I'm settling into the routines of my morning commute which is often half hour to 45 minutes, so there's no reason... In half a mile, turn right onto North Meridian <laughs> Road. No reason I can't get a random screed out there. So that is all good news. Um, I'd like to comment on it a little bit. I have been out of the house for about 10 days now, just a week and a half. 
Take the next right onto North Meridian Road. It's been very busy. I mean, I also had oral surgery in that time, so I had some recovery in there. Um, but I have to admit, things just feel Continue on lighter. North Meridian Road for three miles. Everything feels lighter. Head southeast on Illinois 70 East toward North Meridian Road. I have less. Continue on North Meridian <laughs> Road for three miles. Holy cow. I have uh, no, it doesn't feel like I have any stress, no depression, no anxiety. I mean, I had some anxiety about my um, surgery, but I mean, I just don't have that constant feeling of something going on. And that is awesome. It's been a pretty long hiatus, and I really want to thank everyone who's stuck with me throughout it. Um, but expect more content coming forward. And yeah, let's see where it goes. These are the days of high adventure. All right, I wanted to talk a little bit about the games I have played. I'm playing in a into at the moment. First off, my 2300 AD collection continues. I met up with Hawk of the Gerga fame at a local, <laughs> I say that a lot, local FLGS. Oh my gosh, redundant much. The FLGS in Mount Prospect, known as Games Plus. Uh, I was underwhelmed by my experience there. But I did find some 2300 stuff. We decided to get into Battletech. I bought some sweet dice. Uh, and half a mile at the traffic circle. Take the second exit and stay jackals. on North Meridian Road. I bought Jackals, and uh, during the purchase, the counter clerk, who may be an owner for all I know, because he was a middle-aged dude um, at a gaming store, basically was heckling me for the purchase because... He thought Bronze Age, oh, we're going to play in Bronze Age. Jeez, what are we doing next? Getting rocks tied under sticks. And I'm just like, what the hell? No, what I should do is not buy any of this here. I guess you don't want this $250 purchase, which was not all mine. Circle onto North Meridian Road. It wasn't all mine. Continue uh, on North Meridian Road for two miles. Hawk was involved with this purchase as well. We threw our stuff together to get a better discount. But anyway... I'm like, what's this guy's problem? This is the problem that you have at gaming stores. People have no social skills. I shouldn't say none, and I shouldn't say people as in all people. It seems quite common that industry folk and the peripherals have few or awkward social skills. Let's work on that, guys. You're in a business and you're trying to sell product. You don't make fun of the product that someone's buying and attempt to coerce them not to buy it, especially when you don't know shit about it. You've never even heard of the game and now you're going to talk crap about it? You don't, don't do that. So that was my experience at Games Plus. But um, we did buy uh, the Armored Combat starter it's not really the starter box it's like the second box because there was a starter box that only had two mechs in it and then there's this other armored combat box that has like 12 mechs in it for battle tech and 
yeah, I'm doubling down on Battletech. I'm getting in with a group um, online that plays through Hangouts, and we're going to use Tabletop Simulator and something called Mech HQ, which I've heard people talk about, but I don't know anything about. So, yeah. My gaming calendar was pretty light, but I got into a Battle Lords of the 24th and a half. No, it's not 24th and a half century. It's Battle Lords of the 23rd century. I'm late to the party talking about this because Che and um, Jason Connerly and uh, Reverend Derek were all in the game, and the people with podcasts have probably beat this to get to death at length. But I should take a minute to talk about it. First off, our goal was to play military sci-fi. Both Che Webster and I had been really wanting this. And did this game scratch that itch? Well, to answer that, I think we have to define what military sci-fi is. And what is military sci-fi to you? Is it aliens? Is it shooting bugs? Is that military sci-fi? I think it's part of it. But I also think that perhaps the subgenre of military sci-fi has multiple subgenres within it. Like that would be kind of the bug hunt type of thing. There's a ton of it. There's a ton of games that simulate this mentality. Um, at its root, I think military sci-fi is... Well, if we talk about military fantasy, it usually denotes being part of when I think about military fantasy it makes me consider Glenn, Glenn Cook's Black Company, Malazan Book of the Fallen and the Bridge Burners you're part of like a cohort that you know does jobs and has that there is that feeling of the military which includes <laughs> which includes the um hierarchy of dealing with the military hierarchy, you know, and pew-pewing, so it's shooting lasers or chattering burp guns or, I don't know, is that is that all military sci-fi is or is there something more to it? Do you think of an armada of spaceships galactically conquering? I don't know, or... On the other hand, is it a band of mercenaries doing mercenary work? In Battle Lords, it kind of has this feeling of battle tech where you, it's a throwback to samurai, Japanese type stuff where you happen to have this suit of battle armor and that's what makes you a Battle Lord and you belong to this kind of group or special unit or something and then you get thrown together with different Battle Lords that uh, the different like a fiefdom almost, where these um, masters of certain domains ask you to do stuff. I don't know. I'm not that up on the lore, but that's kind of what it felt like. And a lot of times I wouldn't say for a one-shot knowing all this is necessary, but I'm trying to explain it through the lens of understanding what military sci-fi might be to different people. 
So obviously you're all battle lords and you all have powered armor. So where do you get granularity or niche protection or any of that? I don't really know. I mean, they had different aliens, which I thought was interesting. And it almost seemed like depending on what your species was, that's going to kind of control the archetype or the character that you have. So I don't know. I don't know a ton about battle lords. It feels a little... I don't know. It felt a little uh, crunchy, right? But then I'm wondering, is that part of military sci-fi, the crunchiness? I mean, you want to have like all these different weapons maybe and different modes of fire and even maybe different types, ballistic or energy weapons or flamers or is that what makes it crunchy? You know, what, what gives you that feeling of the of using this high-tech weaponry can you do it with a fate like game where you're just kind of defining aspects of it can you do it a different way what's what's the way that it needs to be done in order to fulfill the goal of creating this science fiction of the military nature that you're looking for I don't know. As far as the game itself went, I had fun. It was cool. There was It was an interesting scenario. Um, it definitely gave me some elements of Blade Runner, uh, Fifth Element, which I love those. It, it actually had me wanting more lore. I was more interested in the lore of what creates this type of game and what it's all about. I feel like I remember a game called Battle Lords that I used to that I played or tried back in the 80s at the first convention that I ever went to, but I don't remember enough of it to know if it was the same game or not. So, sorry about that. Anyhow, there you go. Give me any comments you think about the military sci-fi genre and uh Battle Lords or whatever the hell you want. Next up is Savage Worlds Adventure Edition. First of all, what in the hell is up with the editions of Savage Worlds? How does anybody keep up with that mess? Not I. But somebody tells me what edition we're playing. I get it. I got it. That was another one of my purchases at the FLGS. Um... I haven't played a ton of Savage Worlds. I've played it a couple times here and there, mostly with Kevin Madison. And then, um, but one of the games I want to talk about is Deadlands because I did get that game in recently and Kevin plans on running it a lot more in the future. So I thought I should get the book. I like to be able to see there's different things that you can do and I like a hard copy if I have the capability. It, it wasn't that expensive. And uh, he's planning on running it for the gaming marathon. Uh, so I got it. As far as Deadlands go, it brings me to another point. I, first off, 
let me tell you that I still own the original Deadlands book, First Printing and Quick and the Dead and the Judges thing. Unless I sold them, I don't know, I haven't seen them in a while. But I do remember purchasing them at the time. So I am a fan, as regular listeners of the screed know, of the Western genre and the Weird West also. But I would like to talk a little bit about the spectrum of weird in my West. And I may even have talked about this in the past while I was writing uh, Good Intentions. But where do you fall? For me, Deadlands, Weird Frontiers, they all kind of redline my weird. It's like, it's not really weird anymore. It's just a different setting. It's almost like a post-apocalyptic West as much as it is. And I think Beatty has definitely even says that. Uh, when he describes his game, uh, Weird Frontiers. But, I don't know. Because like I say, I mean, the stuff is so weird and you see weird everywhere. I don't know that you should continually have to make grit checks because just the ubiquitousness of the weird makes it not weird anymore, right? I think like Call of Cthulhu Down Darker Trails where it's expected, or if you're playing like a Delta Green West, um, let's write that game, the Pinkertons, it's Delta Green in the West. Maybe they already did. I don't know, maybe it wouldn't be the Pinkertons, maybe you'd come up with a different name for um, for this group or this organization that does Delta Green-esque things in the late 1800s during slash post-Civil War. I don't know. Let me know what you think about that. Anyhow, uh, back to the game. I got to play a Huckster, which was always one of my favorite classes in Deadlands. Not that I've played it a ton, because I haven't. But reading the books, I always thought the Huckster was cool. I love cards. I love playing poker. You're playing poker with your Manitou or making a deal with the devil every time you cast a spell. And I was quite successful. I had a lot of run good and some favorable layouts against the Manitou. So I really got to play with the effects of the Huckstings that I cast. So I had a good time with that. Uh, Kevin is a good GM with dealing with his quirks, which are very, very small. Very, very few cons compared to the very many pros. So anyhow, what do you guys think about Savage Worlds? What do you think about their naming conventions for their editions? What do you think about the level of weird in your games? I think that's all I got to say today. Take it away, TJ.